0: Good afternoon everybody. I love hearing the, the chatter going on, you know, maybe some new BFFs are being made. For those of you know, you know, best friends forever. <laughs> if you're not sure, <laughs> just to clear that up. Uh, today I'm going to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and you might be here, and you might you know, be one in the back of their mind. You know, I remember some time ago, we just started the letter uh, in 1 Peter, and you'd be right. We're going to revisit that after Easter, okay? Um, I know a few people had asked me because you've been reading um, the letter from Peter, and we're going to get back there, but for today, I want to talk to you about our compassionate shepherd, our compassionate shepherd. You can see it on the screen, bright and colorful. Our Lord is our compassionate shepherd. I want you to keep that in mind as we look to the word today. And the big idea, if you will, is as we fixate on this reality, this truth, this fundamental truth that that is who he is, we will trust him and believe him in everything. We will trust him and believe him in everything. We we know full well that sometimes we have missteps. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But like me, I believe that you're going to be encouraged as we look at this interaction that happens where Jesus fed 5,000. What seemed impossible, and yet his compassion shone through and people were astonished. Lives were changed. And so if you're already there, we're looking at Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse 30. And uh, those of you who have been with us for some time now, you know that I prefer to allow the word of God speak for itself and then go into a little uh, exposition of the passage. It says here, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him, all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted, and it's already late. Send them away so they could go into the surrounding countryside and into the villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. And they said to him, Well, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And so Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Remember that part everyone ate and was satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 in number. 5,000 in number. When's the last time you went on a trip? You go on a trip, and I'm sure there are things that you're like, okay. I'm going on a golfing trip, wouldn't be me, I know some other people, but. (laughs) They're going on a golfing trip. I say, Brad, you're going on a trip, what are you gonna bring with you? Hopefully your golf clubs. What else? You go through your list, you go through your, you know, not itinerary, your your paperwork, your checklist. Okay, I got my my clubs, I got my, hopefully I have my golf tees, right? I need a hat, maybe some sunscreen. Maybe you're like me and golf isn't really your thing, but you like to go and check things out. You just like to spectate and check out the sites. But maybe you like to have a little go-to snack while you're checking out those sites. Well, that'd be me. And maybe you have a favorite snack or those kind of things. You're going on a trip and you like to have snacks. I like the laughter. It's good. But you like snacks. So you're going on this trip and there's things that are must-haves. I can't go on this trip Flora, I can't go on this trip without these items. Maybe Jim will say, "Well, I need my mixtape of music. I can't hit the road without my mixtape." Hopefully, it's CD or digital by now, but just saying. How do you know well? I know. I just know you. <laughs> we have those things. Now think about it for a moment. We go on these trips. We have these lists. these, these must-haves the followers of Christ would have been very similar. And yet the very beginning when Jesus called Andrew and Peter and his other disciples, he just said, come and follow me. And what'd they do? They immediately left everything behind and followed him on this great journey. This incredible trip, if you will. They left their boats. They left their nets. They left everything they knew to follow Christ. These were organized men. These were fishermen, well-to-do. And yet there was something that Jesus offered, something that he represented they didn't have, and they were willing to exchange what they had for what he had. This great exchange. And in many ways, he exceeded their expectations, working miracles and wonders in their midst, blazing this trail, teaching about the kingdom of God. And then one day, they come to this mountainside where all these people are in attendance, and they're hungry. And he says, "You give them something to eat." And then Jesus exceeds their expectations, and he and he feeds their stomachs to the full. Showing this incredible favor that's in Christ. And yet, when we go back to Luke chapter 9, it says here, when Jesus speaks of his followers, he says, I gave them power and authority over demons and to heal diseases. It says in verse 2 that he sent them away to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So he's given them authority to heal Sicknesses, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God. That is, the favor of God has arrived in Christ. And he says, and you're probably wondering, well, where's he going with this? I'm not on a tangent, there's a purpose. In Luke 9, verse 3, he says this Take nothing for the road. Nothing. No staff, no traveling bag, no mixtape. No, no bread, no money. Don't take even an extra shirt. Right there, I would have punched out and said, no, man, like, with my, with hygiene's important to me. I need more than one shirt. He says, no, I'm sorry, no extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there, and then leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet, as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Remember those two words, healing everywhere. Jesus gave them authority, authority and power in his name to heal the sick, the cast out demons, to bring peace in the households. Healing was happening everywhere. And then a big event happened, a life event, and this happens to a lot of us, a life event occurs, and for a split moment, perhaps we forget everything that God has done in our midst, everything that Christ has worked in our midst. It's no different for the followers of Christ. At this point in time, John the Baptist had been beheaded. Things are getting a little fiery, to put it lightly. (laughs) And they forget for a moment God who provided, God who gave them authority, God who healed and sent them out to proclaim this favor. Surely he would provide, Brad. Let me ask you a question to help set things off, a launch pad, if you will. What would your response be? What would my response be? You see thousands of people a few fish, a few loaves. How would I respond? How would we respond as a group? I'm already struggling enough with him saying, take nothing with you. (laughs) Well, how's that going to work? I, it's, it, there's going to be long journeys. I'm going to need some sandals. I'm going to need some footwear, right? Maybe kicks. Maybe that's your kind of thing. I don't know. But there's things we're accustomed to. There's ways in which we've lined things up. We dot the I's and cross our T's. And yet Jesus, the big idea that we want to highlight here is he's showing his followers and he's teaching us here today, a teachable moment, is to trust him in all things. To trust him for the provision. It might seem crazy. How are we going to feed 5,000 people, Jim and Barb? How would we accomplish that with that few fish and loaves? <laughs> what would your response be? I don't believe Jesus was extending a hyperbole here. I don't think his followers believe that either. I don't think they were saying, well, Jesus isn't being literal. He's just doing one of those teaching things he likes to do. He's saying, you feed them. You feed them, Mr. Stam." Take nothing with you. So keep that in mind as we continue to look at this passage, as we look at the compassionate shepherd. When was the last time you read Psalm chapter 23? A thousand years before Christ came on this earth, David, who put his trust in God, who had missteps like all of us, Yet he spoke of Yahweh. He spoke of his Lord and God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He lines me and leads me along right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And look how David goes on and says, he hasn't stopped there. He says, you anoint my head with oil. There's provision there. There's favor there. Amen. Amen. And he says, my cup overflows. With what? What kind of cup is this? He says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. The cup that overflows is this faithfulness, this goodness, this faithful love. And so this compassionate shepherd that the disciples of Christ were learning all about, they saw his faithfulness, they saw his faithful love. And it says here in the the passage that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Now, a shepherd is defined as this. I know I've given that explanation before of why I like to go for definitions. It really helps paint the picture a little bit. A shepherd's defined as this, a person who tends and rears sheep. And why is that important? Because there's work to be done. There's work to be done. It, it takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of strategic patience, It says to tend sheep as a shepherd, to guide, to direct in a particular direction. So here we see that Jesus is not only compassionate, he is guiding them. He's purposely guiding his followers in a specific direction. To not be overcome by the obstacle in front of them, but to redirect their attention to heaven or where their help comes from. And the beautiful thing yet in their midst is the very favor of God, the proclamation of God's kingdom and breaking on earth was right there with them, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help but imagine how I would respond if Jesus was here, living and breathing, and we know he's with us, don't get me wrong, we're reunited with him in spirit, but they're like the followers of Christ, how would I respond? Would I overanalyze the situation? Would I, you know, start a new chapter of Mythbusters and and try and, you know, (laughs) pull down and look at the theory of how could this actually be possible? How would we respond? Is this ongoing theme in the back of my mind, praying and pondering over this passage, this story of feeding the 5,000, And I recall the words of Jesus in John 10. John 10 verse 11 says this, and you know it full well, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus didn't run at the obstacle. Rather, he gravitated towards it, had compassion on the people, and worked with his fathers to direct them to meet this need. Now, we see here in our story, Jesus says he has compassion on them, and it says that he recognized that they didn't have A shepherd. They were sheep without a shepherd. Throughout scripture, if you read through the Old Testament, it speaks to the importance of having a teacher, having a person to guide and direct you, Debbie. And yet, if you don't have that, the prophet Zechariah said that when there's a lack of a shepherd, wandering and affliction can come upon the sheep. Wandering and affliction can come as they're sucked in by different falsehoods and idols. And so Jesus sees an opportunity, even though he's been overcome with emotion because John the Baptist, and whom he said, of those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. He deeply cared for John. They were born around the same time. In fact, when Jesus was in the womb of his mother Mary, John leaped when he was in his mother's womb, leaped as they came in close proximity. John was the one who said, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. For the one who is coming, I'm unworthy to untie even his sandals. I baptize you in water for forgiveness, but when he comes, he's gonna baptize you with fire, which means to equip us for service, to serve our God, to actually follow through on covenant, to actually follow through on that relationship. And so make no mistake, Jesus, who's a compassionate shepherd, had emotion hearing the news of John being beheaded and yet in the moment of his tragedy in the moment of this deep seated emotion he didn't allow that to sidetrack him from fulfilling his mission he looked at the crowd he had compassion on them and said i need to teach them they're like sheep without a shepherd This hit me so hard because there's times where we experience life. Life happens. There's a colorful bumper sticker that I'm not going to repeat, but things happen. (laughs) And sometimes we can get caught up in what's happening. And I think a teachable moment here, Jesus, I love that it speaks to us Say The word of God is living and active. It says, even when, be aware of the people. Be compassionate. As I'm compassionate. And I know it doesn't say that you know word for word here, but that's what we're pulling out of this story, how it relates to us here today. We all have needs, don't we? I definitely have needs. Family would say, amen, Andrew has a lot of needs. We're praying for him every day, he has a lot of needs. With all kidding aside, our Heavenly Father knows what we need, doesn't he? Just as he saw that crowd, think about it. He knew what was going on in the lives of those 5,000. Better than we could ever imagine. And yet, the Bible says that he's aware of each one of us. The very hairs on our head. Before we speak a single word, he knows it completely. And so he knew these people were hungry, but I believe... And as I look into this, that he saw, he was aware, yeah, they were hungry for physical food, but there was a spiritual emptiness. There was a void. There was a void that was caused by a ruler in the palace that was a self-appointed king that was oppressing his people, and they were looking for freedom. And so that's why they're seeking out this Christ. At the end of the chapter, it says that they wanted to make him king. They wanted to make Christ king then and there. But the time had not yet come because Christ still needed to go to the cross as that compassionate shepherd. Jesus says this when you pray, don't babble like Gentiles. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them. Because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. He goes on in Matthew 6:28: Don't worry about your clothes. Observe how the wild flowers of the field they grow; they don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you? So don't worry, saying, "What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear?" For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the key for us, the walking point. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. Jesus meant it. So when he says, when you go to these places, take nothing with you. No extra shirt. No clubs. No, well, hopefully there's golfing in heaven, you know, but... (laughs) Take nothing with you. Jesus was showing them that teachable moment that when you look to him in the midst of whatever's going on, that he can surely meet that need. But he's also going to work through you and still bring that provision. We're not aimlessly walking around this earth looking to a cosmic power, if you will, just to, you know, like money bags falling from the sky type of thing. Jesus works in and through us to faithfully meet those needs. And so look what he says in verse 34. Again, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Before this encounter of feeding the 5,000, there was this Amazing interaction that happened with a woman at the well. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but after this exchange and this conversation where she shares her life story, as Jesus asks good and appropriate questions. At the end of this uh, interaction, she says, Come and see a man. She's talking to people in her community, John 4:29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And after this encounter, even Jesus' own disciples said, Lord, Rabbi, you need to eat something. You need to take time to eat something. But he told his disciples, and we've said this many times, I've shared it, I know Pastor Isaiah shared it in others, that the nourishment that Christ had was doing the work that God sent him to do. This is what he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes, look at the fields because they're ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Here Jesus, through this feeding of the 5,000, is emphasizing this, this teaching that he's giving. The followers of Christ have heard this teaching, this story about the fields, looking up and seeing the fields, seeing the field is ripe for harvest. There's 5,000 people that have shown up looking for Christ, for him to minister to them, for, for healing, yes, signs and wonders, absolutely, but to fill that void, that which they've been missing this entire time. And so he's working through them, he's speaking to them to look up, to refix their gaze, to see the fields that are ripe for harvest. How would we respond? Jesus looks to you and says, you meet that need. They need someone to talk to, talk to them. They need a ride, give them a ride. Whatever. Sometimes it can be very simple, and these are things that we, we don't do perfectly. You know, there's times I'll get calls, and you know, I'll be asked to you know, give people rides and different things, and you can't meet every request, but it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart, and this is what Jesus is getting at, this compassion. He had the right stuff. He had the heart to, to honor God and to serve others. As we were singing this afternoon, Brad, I was thinking of this verse that I had here in my notes. Jesus said this in Matthew 12:50. I can't remember what song was referring to it. "For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother." That's Matthew 12:50: "Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister and my mother." We are part of the family God when we engage, when we engage the people that show up and are in need. And so Jesus shows them, you see the need, feed them. You give them something to eat. And so this conversation happens. There's this conversation that happens. And so very few quick uh, going points. Number one is, we won't always have favor with all people. Make no mistake. Jesus isn't saying, you're going to be so highly blessed and favored, you're going to have favor with everybody. We believe that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. But again, we're living in a world where people have callous hearts. There's going to be those who are wandering and even defiant. And so we control the things that we can control by the power of his spirit and realize we won't have favor with everybody. So right before this story, the feeding of the 5,000, I mentioned it earlier, John the Baptist was beheaded. Now he had favor with the king in that the king was afraid of John. He knew that he was a righteous and holy man. A righteous and holy man. And he knew that John the Baptist was telling the king, Hey, listen, it's not okay for you to have your brother's wife. You can't be married to her. That's your brother's wife. And the king knew this to the point where the king's now new wife, Herodice was upset about this John the Baptist. And you know what happens when the wife gets upset? There's a honey to-do list. And so goes to you know, the king and wants things to be taken care of, take care of business. <laughs> but through Mark 6, or if you go to Luke 9, it shows that the king, he wasn't willing to do that. He, he feared John. But he respected him in that he knew he was a holy man. He wasn't going to touch God's anointed. And yet one day, one day, remember, for each of us, there's always a day. There's always a time. We, we see that fork in the road. And there's a party that's going on. And it says here in Mark 6, verse 21, An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles and commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodus, his own daughter, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And so, look what she did. It says that she went to her mother and said, Well, what should I ask for? And here's the mother, the one who has been holding a grudge against John. This is my moment. So, he tells her, John the Baptist's head. And so, it says that once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed, and it's good to hear that this wasn't an easy decision for them, he was deeply distressed, because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to refuse her. I'm sure he didn't want to see a temper tantrum in the middle of the court. And yet with all kidding aside, look what happens here. Verse 27, the king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And then the girl took his head and gave it to her mother. And when John's disciples heard about it, they came, removed his body, and placed it in the tomb. And then following that, we have the story of Jesus hearing this report from his followers, and he says, come, let's go to a secluded place for a time, because he has compassion. He's moved to tears, more than likely, that John the Baptist is gone. And that's what sets up the story, yet in the midst of his tragedy, he still kept compassion. That speaks to us today. I believe it. I'm, I'm hoping that's speaking to you. That in the midst of tragedy, when we go through just a crazy story, a crazy scenario, never to lose compassion. Because our shepherd never loses his compassion for us. We misstep, we fall short, we make all these declarations. Even things that don't line up with his will, maybe similar to the t- temper tantrum of this daughter. I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so you can imagine that Herod, he was nervous because people are saying, hey, that, that guy you beheaded, he's back. It's like Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. Some are saying, no, he's back, like for real. Like there's signs and wonders happening. Only John the Baptist did those things. But he finds out, like, no, this isn't John the Baptist. This is the Jesus, the Christ, that he's been hearing about. He says in Luke 9, verse 9, I beheaded John, but who is this I hear such things about? I want to see him. And so this interaction, this thing starts to happen and it speaks to me. This whole story, if you look at the whole context, should speak to us here today is to be not only trusting God's provision that he's going to make a way. When you see, you see a need, he's going to say, you meet that need and I'm going to give you the provision. On the flip side, to check our emotions, watch what we're processing in our mind and the company that we keep. What led up to this story, we can see how important it is to be careful of those we associate with. Be careful of those who ask us to do things that don't align with the will of God. They may prey on our fears. They may prey on our anxieties. And yet in all those things, we can still look to God, our shepherd, and say, God, I'm hearing all these voices, the voices from the shadows that are calling out to me. What do I do? When we call to our shepherd we know that he's gonna give us the right path to take. As you open the word of God, it says it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It can speak to our hearts, joints, and marrow. Remember what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of this will be given to you as well. number two, and I'm going to wrap things up. Jesus cares deeply for you. He cares deeply for you. A good shepherd cares. He's not like a hired hand that when he sees troubles on the horizon, when he sees the wolf coming, he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave us to Lucifer, the, the devil, the enemy of our souls. That's why he came to earth and he went to the cross to free us from the works of the destroyer. The wolf. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me all who are weary and burdened. He's emphasizing that there's, there's teaching points in life. I'm going to teach you things. It's not a, you know, like a staycation or you're not going to learn new things. It's not that you're no longer going to be formed or grow anymore. He's the master potterer and we're the clay and he's going to form us. And when we allow him to do that work in our life, it's going to be so worth it. And yet times in that formation, it can get a little tough. To trust, I mean, come on, to trust and lean on on Christ, like the followers of Christ, when He says, You feed these 5,000, there probably were some doubts. And so, as He chatted with Philip and, and Andrew, I love how when He talked to Philip, He said, You know, how much do we have? What, what do you have to give them? And Philip says, well, I got about 200s worth of, of bread, but it won't be enough. And he's focused on this obstacle, and then Andrew steps up. And not, like, trying to give credit to myself, I happen to have the same name, which is wonderful. Um, but Andrew steps up and he says, there's a boy here, Jesus, who has five barley loaves and two fish but what are, they, what are they there for so many? It's interesting the way that's worded. But what are they for so many? So it's like he's partially getting it. Like, Jesus, you're telling us to feed him. Feed these people. There, there's a few fish and bread here. And after they gather everything, Jesus says, have the people sit down. And so there's two quick things I saw from this. How the people sit and get into groups and sit down. Jesus was organizing. He wasn't a guy who was aloof. He was an intelligent designer and creator. He didn't sit on his hands. He was, he was getting to work. He was organizing. He was making things happen. After all, how are you going to feed 5,000 people? You have to have some sort of order. He put them into groups. And this can speak to people that maybe aren't big into administration. Jesus was a wonderful administrator. He formed the disciples. He called them. He said, Follow after me, and I will make you fishermen of people. And so, here, this exchange with Philip and Andrew, they didn't have a local Costco to rely on. How many like Costco? Preached. It's wonderful, right? Big distribution center. Everything your eye can see. And yet, there was no Costco. Jesus is pointing out, What do you have? And they're, and they're, they're answering him. We, we don't have enough. In our provision, we don't have enough to meet this need. And again, his big teaching point is Rabbi. He's showing them, that's right, you, you don't have enough. But in me, there's sufficiency. I will meet your need. Look to me, look up, and I will meet that need. I'm going to invite the worship team to, uh, to join me up here. And as we look at this interaction, we can see how what happened was supernatural. Jesus says that he took what was given, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. It's okay, you can leave that right there, Catherine, that's okay. He blessed it, he broke it, And he gave it. And the teaching point that I believe for us here this afternoon is that when we give him what we have, the final point is that when we give him what we have, he will bless it and he'll multiply it. He'll extend it. He'll make it go the distance. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For every one of God's promises is yes and amen in Christ. Therefore, here's the marching orders for us. Therefore, in him we're also to say amen. Amen to the glory of God. There's a partnership here. The followers of Christ, Jesus was calling them to partner with him. I'm your provider, I'm your great shepherd, I'm your good shepherd. I'm not gonna leave you in a place of lack. I'm gonna bring provision into your life. I'm gonna enable you to meet that need because our heads are overflowing with oil, the anointing of God. And so as the worship team goes to lead us, let me ask this outgoing question to you this afternoon. Are you in it to win it for yourself? Are you in it to win it for yourself or are you in it for the glory of God? If you're in it to win it for yourself, you will in a way be broken and humbled. But when you're in it to win it to the glory of God, he's going to take that service. He's going to bless it. He's going to multiply it. He's going to extend it. It's going to do more than you could possibly ever imagine. A year ago to this day, in my own life story, I had lost my job, I didn't know what was gonna happen. When you have a family to provide for, even when things are going well, it almost feels like a rug's been pulled out from under you, and then you have a health situation happen. In those moments, God teaches you, those those teachable moments. And he said to me, Andrew, your life will never be the same. I'm showing you my glory. And I, I I I I promise you, and we all misstep. i i help emphasize that enough. We all we all misstep, but when we give our life into service to God, when we say, "Come, Lord Jesus. I'm not I'm not perfect, but will you use me? Will you use my life?" There's some brokenness. There's some humbleness that has occurred through these teachable moments. But He said, "Your life will never be the same." He He's blessed me tremendously. flash forward to today we have you wonderful people here, a new church assembly, a new church family, a new ministry work that's been happening, provision in so many ways has happened in my own life even what I believe to be God's healing touch in my life of removing cancer Amen Amen And yet, it doesn't stop there. We're an assembly of believers. It says that we're all in this together. We're one body with many members. He's working through each of us. So surely, he's working on testimonies through each of us. And we can all say, surely, the goodness and faithfulness of God follows me all the days of my life. And if we can rest in that, church, if we can rest and trust in that, a feeding of 5,000, whatever that feeding may look like today, it's not impossible. For everything is possible with Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able to stand. We want to sing. We want to bring glory to God and sing. And I, I just want to declare the name of Jesus in my life. I want to declare the name of Jesus over my household, over my finances, over my thought life, over my physical body. He wants to minister to you today. Don't Don't leave here today prematurely. It's been heavily impressed upon my heart, and and I knew I needed to put that out at the end to encourage you just to uh, wait for a few moments. That need in your life, call upon the Lord. He's mighty to save. He's going to meet that need so that out of that overflow, you can share and minister to others. Amen. Worship team. Thank you, Jesus.